Hi, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. As always, I'm your host, Laura Boyle, and I'm here this week for Season 7, Episode 8, with Evita Sawyers to talk about her new book, A Polyamory Devotional, which is coming out this Friday, October 20th, uh, and it's available from Thornapple Press. You can find the link in the show notes to purchase that. We're here talking about that, about the Metamore's Bill of Rights, and in general about her journey through non-monogamy, as well as about... Uh, growth through conflict, through discomfort, and through self-examination through all of that. So I hope that you really enjoy today's interview. I had a lot of fun recording with Evita, and I hope you guys have a lot of fun listening. So thanks a lot for coming and chatting with me. Thank you for having me. I love podcasts. So I, um, I love these conversations. Really good stuff comes out of them. So thank you. And I know I've been following you on social media for a long time, and I know you as somebody who in addition to the like polyamory reminders and things like that from the Metamorphs Bill of Rights and all of these things. But in case any of my listeners don't know who you are, do you mind giving a little introduction of yourself? Sure, absolutely. So my name is Vita Sawyers. Um, on Instagram, I'm Levita Loca 34 That's where most people know me. Um, I am a Black, queer, non-monogamous person. I have been non-monogamous now for over a decade. Um, I'm a mother, so I have children. Um, and I do content creation. I educate, speak, teach. Uh, I also do coaching and I am now a published author. I have a book coming out in October. Um, and uh, what I started with was today's polyamory reminder was just like a daily sort of jewel of wisdom or reflection around uh, polyamory. And that's kind of how I got large. But I basically just talk about what it's like to be non-monogamous, my movements through it, the things that I um, uh, notice and perceive in the community um, and uh, in non-monogamy and how to live this way and you know how to process these tough emotions and have the hard conversations. Um, and uh, I think where people uh, really got drawn to me um, is, um, you know, I didn't shy away from talking about how challenging it is. I, I wasn't, you know, trying to paint this picture of, you know, I'm always great with it all the time. Um, and then my vulnerability about my own self and my own movements through this, I'm just as vulnerable talking about myself as I am talking about others. And I think that that's what allows people to really connect to uh, my messages. Yeah, absolutely. That is definitely one of the things I think that folks appreciate about you. It's one of the things that I've appreciated about your content for many years. Um, and it's one of the things that I appreciated reading your book. I was able to get an advanced copy from the publisher. And I really enjoyed in many of the reflections within it, uh, the format of the book is a sort of daily devotional, a kind of 365 little one page reflections for folks to read and think on. And I enjoyed it as kind of an expanded daily polyamory reminder almost. Is that what you were thinking of when you composed it? Um, I When I first started, I wasn't even thinking about doing a book. I just was thinking about like, oh, can I do this? It was COVID, you know, everybody mm -hmm. was in the house. You know, I was, I had been laid off from my job and I was like, I wonder if I can like challenge myself to do one of these like a day. And then I got the idea to kind of put it into a book um, because, uh, you know, number one, um, people have, you know, shorter attention spans now for reading. And so I like that the format was something that where someone maybe did not feel pressured to have to like read it all the way through. It's like, you can literally put this down, pick it up in a couple of weeks, just open up to a page 
and have your your thoughts provoked and have mm-hmm. you know something that you can kind of think on you can you know take it to your partner and say hey can we talk about this thing or this thing just happened to me in our relationship and this thing articulates it and can we have a conversation about it and so i kind of wanted it to be something that people could feel um at ease with using it how it works for them like i feel like it has more um more usability than just a standard book where you just read all the way through because like i said you can read it once a day you can you know put it down for a couple of weeks and read it up you can do one you know through 365 you can just open to a page and so i felt like it allowed for more access for people to have um uh, polyamorous wisdom in a way that is you know succinct um and uh, but also very uh profound um, and so that was why I chose to kind of compile them all into one reference place and, and you know, have it be in a book. And I, I, a, a lot of times I'll get followers that'll be like, you made a post about something and I don't, you know, I want to find it again. And where is it? And I'm like, I like, that's probably like two, 300 posts down. Like I have no clue where that thing is or when I wrote it. And, and so, you know, for people to have like a reference in their hand, so they have like, you know, reminders that they can go back to. And I believe in, even in the index, it's like, if you're, you know, wanting reflections on jealousy, you go to this phase. If you're wanting reflections on this, you know, so that way, you know, people can look for specific things or they can also just allow themselves to be led, um, uh, you know, by whatever, you know, comes forward for them. And so, you know, I'm kind of woo woo. And so I like stuff like that. And so I like I, devotionals. I've had a few different times uh, that just, you know, have wisdom and I, I always value them. Uh, because a lot of times I'll open it to a page and it's exactly what I need for that day. And I often hear that from my my followers. I'll make a post and they'll be like, how did you know? Like, this is exactly what I needed to hear. So, mm-hmm. um, so I kind of liked that format a lot better. I felt like it was very uh, um, practical for like this generation of readers. <laughs> yeah, I really liked the idea of it as a devotional, as someone who was raised by a very religious family, the idea of these books that are compilations of wisdom that applies to our lives really resonated with me. It's something that I didn't sort of realize was missing in my lexicon of my adult life because I don't carry forward the same religion as my family, right? So I have one devotional on my shelf, actually, that was my great aunt's. But like, because I'm not Catholic, I don't follow the exact patterns that she followed, right? So it's more a keepsake and a reminder of her than something that I turn to all the time. So having something that contains all of these like kind of interesting and profound thoughts that apply to my life was actually a really positive thing to have here. And obviously I've only had it for the few days that I've had it. So I haven't had the experience of turning to it on a day and seeing if it applies that day yet. But I think it's a really nice resource that folks will appreciate having. Right. And I feel like um, while large in part, the a topic is polyamory and non-monogamy, but I would tell people that, you know, non-monogamy is really just basic relationship principles on steroids is what I say. Like, you know, it's basic human relating. We're just doing it, you know, in a way that we're not accustomed to doing it because we live in a monogamous culture, but mm-hmm. navigating multiple relationships is something that we do in so many spaces. We do it in our families. We do it in our neighborhoods with our neighbors. You know, we do it on our jobs with different coworkers. And so we find ourselves in these complex networks of, of human beings that we're interacting with and we're having to remember grace and compassion and empathy and all of these things. And so I find that, you know, even though I may be talking about non-monogamy specifically, but so many of the things that I learn 
uh, I carry forward into my other relationships, into my relationship with my kids, into my relationship with my, you know, my friends. Um, and so, it, you know, the framing may be, I'm talking about non-monogamy, but often you may find something that can point you to, you know, something that you were feeling in your friend group or something that you were feeling with a family member. Um, and so I find that it's very valuable uh, for that as well, because when you start thinking about these these topics and then kind of expanding your understandings of like how you move through relationships, it just bleeds out into how you move through all relationships, not just your romantic and sexual ones. For sure. It's about intentionality and kind of understanding yourself and understanding the way you want to relate to the folks around you. And that mm -hmm. doesn't only apply to those romantic relationships. It applies to all your interpersonal relationships. Right. So... I also found, I don't know if you intended this, but because the reflections in many cases end with sort of statements and questions at the end of them, folks could end up using this not just for sort of walking away with a thought, but if someone is a journaler or is something like this, they could use this as almost a guided journaling practice. And I thought that was a really interesting way to think about it. Yeah, there are question prompts at the end of each reminder for people to kind of dive deeper and kind of think about. I, I really wanted people to find themselves in the pages because not, you know, my experience is not going to be your experience. Um, you know, how a particular situation landed for me that I may have talked about in a, in a um, reminder may not be how it landed for you. So I wanted people to find themselves in this because sometimes when you're doing uh, content creation or you're sharing these things, um, people can tend to kind of want to use your voice mm -hmm. all the time. And I'm always about helping people find their own voice. You know, how is this relevant to you? Like, you know, this is the way it landed for me. This is where I went with it. It doesn't necessarily mean that this is where you're going to go with it, or this is how it's going to impact you. So find out where you are at in these pages, find out what you need to glean from this, because that will ensure more success when you're being intentional about how do I bring this down to where it's relevant for me? Yeah, exactly. So the goal is giving people these kinds of questions to go for, these directions to look in that they may not have thought of. Right. And I, I found it incredibly wide ranging and a real sort of depth of different directions to look at. And like I'd mentioned, I knew you from, from years ago, the Metamore's Bill of Rights was like this really important document at the time that it came out. And I think even more so for those of us who were relatively new to polyamory at the time, because it was really mind blowing for me that not only did we have this intentionality when it came to building relationships with our partners, but with everyone in our networks and that these sort of rights and obligations extended to every relationship in our lives. And you spoke to that a little before I don't know, would you mind speaking a little bit to what that document was and to the way that these relationships with our metamors in particular are a little bit unique but not unique as evidenced by that document? Yeah, so that document actually came about um, with me and Shanae Jackson Kendall, mm -hmm. who is another really awesome uh, polyamory educator um, and event planner. And she had uh, put on an event in um, Dallas called, um, uh, it was, um, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, my mind is totally blanking on it, but it was Black Poly something. Um, my was mind is like Black going completely blank. Or was that Black Poly, else? no, 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 that, that's different. No, Poly that's Dallas in Atlanta, is different. 
No, no, no. That's also in Texas, but that okay. was done by Rui Bui Johnson. Oh, you're um, right. But, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's Poly Dallas Millennium. No, absolutely. Yep. Poly Dallas Millennium. Um, Black Poly Pride. There we go. You're so right. Shanae had put on Black Poly Pride. Um, so we had a weekend in Dallas. And so that's where the Melamore Bill of Rights came. And what that came from was, um, and it's actually really funny because when Shanae and I first started interacting, because how we met was uh, Black, there were these Black, you know, polyamory, like uh, uh, Facebook, Facebook groups, groups. Mm -hmm. that we were a part of. Um, and she was very, very, very kitchen table. And I had kind of garnered this reputation for being very not, which mm -hmm. wasn't entirely true. Um, it wasn't that I was anti-kitchen table. What I was anti was anti-compulsory kitchen table. And there was mm -hmm. a lot of compulsory kitchen table poly uh, uh, rhetoric going yep. around and that if you didn't want kitchen table that you weren't ready for polyamory or you had issues and all of these things. And so that's really what I was anti was, was not, you know, kitchen table. If kitchen table works and it functions and everybody is on board for that, wonderful, fantastic. It goes really well. I currently have a very kitchen table dynamic with my partner and I love it. My metamor is amazing. But I've definitely had situations to where like my partners had partners that I was like, you need to keep that person all the way away from me. Like, you know, like, I don't have a problem with you having a relationship with them. I am not going to get in the way with it. And also I want nothing to do with this person. And people really acted like that was just this terrible thing or that was lower polyamory. And if you, you know, you would repeat, if you could, you know, have kitchen table, you could achieve, uh, uh, you know, this, this higher like echelon of like polyamory yeah. maturity. When I was like, no, it's just a separate way of, of, of doing polyamory. It has its pluses. It has its detractors, same like Powerlel does. Um, and when we're making it compulsory, you know, we don't, that means that we're probably not really being mindful about folks' consent mm -hmm. <laughs> to be in these uh, 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 kitchen table dynamics. There was a lot of compulsory stuff. And, and the compulsory kitchen table uh, stuff in particular, what I noticed it uh, more disparately impacted single and solo polyamorous people that were dating people that were uh, nested or married because if they weren't on board with the kitchen table or if they didn't particularly like their metamors, they kind of had this, you know, kind of, uh, they would sometimes have this choice, okay, do I just go along with this so I can keep my partner or do I stand my ground and then now I'm getting the ax, you know, or, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm running in jeopardy of losing my relationship with my partner because, you know, I'm not super jazzed about, um, you know, kind of hanging out with their other partners or hanging out with their spouse. And so we we decided to make this uh, a document to kind of say, hey, as a metamor, you have rights. You get to say, you know, you get to have a say in the kind of relationship you want to have with your metamor or no relationship. You get to change that. You get to advocate for what your needs are. You get to, you know, uh, speak out if your metamor is interfering in your relationship or if they're sharing too much with you about the relationship or trying to get too much information from you and invading on your privacy. Like you get to have uh, uh, rights as it relates to how you interact with your metamors. And for me, it was really about, like I said, single and solo polyamorous people that date married and nested people. Mm -hmm. um, and they're like, you know, I would get these questions of like, hey, like I found out that my partner's wife has been reading our text messages and going through all our stuff for like the entire like two years that we've been together. And I don't know how I should feel about that. Or I don't know if that's okay. And I'm like, no, right. like, it's not okay. But they felt like they didn't have rights, you know? Um, and so that was why uh, uh, we decided to to create that document and uh, and to talk about that because we're like just because 
you know, you're in this relationship with this other person, it doesn't mean that you don't get to have a say about how you interact uh, with their partners. And especially in cases where uh, your metamor is, um, you know, being disrespectful to you or passive aggressive, you know, all of these things that kind of happen, you know, uh, giving people permission to say, you get to say, you know, I really don't like your partner and I really want to have limited interaction with them. And, you know, people would, would feel so terrible if they wanted that they would feel like well you know i'm being bad at poly or maybe i'm not being mature and i'm like no like you know what i mean i i don't i, I would tell people all the time we never feel compelled in our friend groups to make sure that all of our friends are friends with all of our friends you know like we don't push people for that we may want that to happen but if uh, you know we have a set of friends that doesn't click with our other set of friends you know we don't say okay well you know you guys got to go because you know you don't click with my set of friends and so you have to go we don't do that um, but, you know, in non-monogamy, you know, it was seemed like, you know, it was totally okay for us to be like, no, we're going to force everybody to get along and force everybody to have a relationship. And I'm like, in no other, you know, complex relationship structure do we do that, uh, except for maybe in families. And even then that's toxic AF, because how mm -hmm. many people have a family member that, you know, you really don't want to mess with. And, you know, your family is like, well, that's just, yeah, that's your dad or that's your you know brother. And you're like, so what, you know, this person doesn't treat me well. Um, in the same vein, I was like, you know, there's something really, really wrong with, uh, you know, us like, you know, imposing on people that you have to have to have to have in kitchen table uh, dynamic. Um, and so that was why we chose to to write about that, because we kind of wanted to let people know, like, hey, you know, you have rights, you know, um, as a metamor, you have a right to to have a say in what that relationship looks like for you. Um, and things go a lot better when we're allowing people the space to sort of come to their own uh, understanding and desire about how they want to relate to their metamors instead of trying to force uh, people to get along or force people to have a relationship. And, you know, in, in my circumstance, you know, or in my, you know, journey, although I don't feel like I've ever been in any situation where someone tried to force kitchen table on me, uh, but the kitchen table dynamics that I had that were the best were the ones where we just allowed ourselves to kind of find our level of how we wanted to enjoy one another as metamors. Um, and we accepted all things, you know, so there may have been one, you know, set of metamors that was like, oh my God, yeah, BFF, we want to spend, you know, a bunch of time together. And there's a certain set of metamor that's like, yeah, y'all cool, but I'm probably not going to spend a whole bunch of time with y'all. And, and all of that was okay. Right. Where folks don't do the thing of, oh, two of you are like best friends. So you have to include the third one in every time you hang out. If people right. go oh, I enjoy my partner's boyfriend, so since he's coming over to watch the football game every Sunday, all of you are invited forever for snacks. There's a giant thing. No. It does right. not have to be that everyone is in the fantasy football league in order for us to feel like we're all included. We get to level set wherever we level set. Right, and it doesn't allow for individuality. It doesn't allow for individuality with regard to people capacity. It, just, it doesn't allow mm -hmm. for individuality with regard to, you know, people's level of comfort. Like it just, it doesn't create space for that. Um, and so, um, and so I wanted to, I was very much a voice of like, hey, like kitchen table poly is not the, this like golden echelon of, of, of polyamory. It is a way to do polyamory. Some people really enjoy it and they find value in it. Some people don't and that's okay. And it doesn't mean that something's wrong with the people that do, that don't. Right, exactly. And I, at the time when this was all sort of starting to circulate, that was a very important message for me and the folks in my life. So I really appreciated that you guys had put that out when you did. And I just wanted to like sort of air that out at the same time that we're here talking principally about your book, but also in general about 
polyamory and your various philosophies because since the book is a collection of small reflections I don't want to be like and the overarching themes of your book are because since it's so many small reflections the overarching themes are your relationship philosophies right so are there from your point of view are there overarching themes that you want folks to be aware of or walk away with I think the overarching theme for me is find yourself, you know, and I think it can be hard coming from monogamy, which is so prescribed mm -hmm. and so structured and so crafted um, and narrow. And that's not judging monogamy at all, but it is a script. You know, mm -hmm. it is a very, very detailed. It's a script. You know, it's a script that's been running for a very long time. And so we can come into non-monogamy and want to find a script. Mm -hmm. um, and that's understandable. Uh, but for me, I think the overarching theme for my book or is to find yourself in the pages. Find what speaks to you. Um, because that's the only way that you can ensure that you are engaging in relationships that are truly fulfilling because you are engaging in relationships with a deep self-awareness of what you value, what matters to you, what lands for you, what resonates for you, mm -hmm. um, and not like, okay, well, I'm just going along with what I see reflected in, in, you know, the, in the community around me, but going, no, like, you know what I mean? Because what is meaningful for me um, may not be meaningful for someone else. And so I think the overarching theme for me in the book is, you know, find yourself, find, you know, what, what works for you. Do the, do the reflection, do the, do, the, do the critical examination, sit with yourself and go, you know, where is this coming from for me and why and what matters most to me and what is most important to me? There may be things that you read that you're like, oh yeah, that's not my bag. Great, wonderful, fantastic. Those are opportunities for you to ask yourself, why doesn't this resonate for me? And you get an answer about yourself, you know? So I don't want people to go through the book and just agree with everything and high five everything that I say. I want you to go through the book and I want, I hope you find things that cause you to feel that like, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't agree with that because there are answers in that too. Because then you ask yourself, why doesn't this resonate for me? Why don't I agree with this? What is it about? What is it that this thing is bumping up against in me? And then you find answers and those answers help you to have a deeper understanding of what is important to you as it you know, pertains to how you relate to others. And with that knowledge, you're able to have more agency um, in your relationship because you know, you know, you know what's, what's working and what works for you and what doesn't. Well, exactly. And one of the things that is sort of constantly said on the blog and the podcast here is that polyamory is a choose your own adventure story. You can't choose what turns you're taking and choices you're making and things that you and your partners are building for your relationships without knowing what those values are that you're putting underneath those choices. And so, as you said, if the idea is seeing what you agree with and what you don't to better understand where those values lie and which one of those social prescriptions you're not following and which ones you actually find a lot of value in and are going to stick with is a lot of data to figure out. Right. And I, I don't think that, you know, learning to um, self-examine, it's a skill. Mm -hmm. 
it's not something that we're just, I mean, I think there are some people that are just naturally inquisitive about themselves, you know, and so they just kind of come sort of, you know, uh, uh, with a knack for it, but it still requires skill. Um, and it's not a skill that we're, I, I don't think it's really something that is like taught because, you know, so much of our mm -hmm. life is very scripted, heteronormativity, you know, uh, uh, white supremacy. Like, there's so many right. things that are just these long running scripts um, that we have. And so uh, self-examination uh, is sometimes challenging for people because it's like, okay, I know that something's going on, but sometimes we don't even know what questions to ask, you know, yes. to uncover those answers. And so, um, uh, and in order for us to find out what those values are, we do, we have to ask those questions. You know, why do I feel this way about this? Is this, is this really coming from me? So much of, of my, you know, non-monogamy sort of examining myself is going, you know, is, do I really believe this? You know, is this really coming from me or is this coming from something that was programmed in long before I was able to make my own choice about it or my own, you know, uh, uh, my, make up my own mind about how I feel about this. And it's just so deeply ingrained that it was running and I didn't even know it, you know? Right. So, um, so I really wanted culture? to open up that space. Right. Is this me? Is this culture? Is this my family? Is mm -hmm. this trauma? You know, like what is it that is informing why I think and feel this way? And I, one of the things that I love to tell people about self-examination is the goal is not to change your mind. I think so many people go into, especially when we're dealing with things that are really challenging, we have these really, really difficult emotions and we're like, man, I feel like crap and I really wish I could feel differently. Let me see if I can go inside and find out what's going on so I can change my mind. And I always tell people that the goal for me is never to change my mind. You know, there are definitely times when I want to take my feelings in a different direction and I'm like, okay, what do I need to do in order to take my feelings in a different direction? But my primary goal is understanding. So it's how do I understand what is informing this? Even if at the end of that examination, I come to the conclusion that that is still how I wanna feel about it. Mm -hmm. At least I know where that is coming from. At least I know what comprises that. And so I'm able to make better choices. I'm able to move through my dealings with that with a deeper understanding because I know where it's coming from. It's not subconscious. It's not, you know, it's not, you know, flying under, under my, I bring it forward, I bring it into the light, I bring it into consciousness so that I have a, an understanding of how this functions for me. So, you know, like when, you know, people, uh, you know, to bring up something like a closed triad, you know, and, you know, closed triads are just one of those things that, you know, is a hot button topic in non-monogamy. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to talk about my views on it because they really don't matter. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I always tell people, examine why that is that you want that. Examine where that's coming from. Even if at that end of the exam examination, you come to the conclusion that that's still what you want. Fine. Mm -hmm but you understand why, you understand why you want it. And so I think a lot of times, you know, people go into that self-examination space from like, I'm trying to, you know, change my mind or I'm trying to get rid of these emotions. And uh, for me, the goal is just deeper understanding. Yep. And a lot of the time people are that meme of the guy sitting at the desk with the change my mind sign in front of him. Right. And it's like, like no, I'm not here to change your mind, dude. I just want you to understand where any of this is right like, where is this all coming from what is informing this belief that i have is it does it match what i think and feel now we have so many beliefs that pop up and then when we actually like and the, the way i kind of describe it because i think in pictures is a lot of times what will happen for me in non-monogamy is something will happen 
and a switch will go off and some music will start playing in my mind is the way I describe it. It's some music. And, and what it is, is it's a script. It's some song mm-hmm. that was put on a playlist years and years and years ago, you know, from my family of origin, from society or whatever. But as I'm looking at the dance that's happening in my life, the music isn't matching the dance. Mm. And so I'm like, why is this music not matching the dance that's happening? And then I start asking myself, okay, like, do I need to fix the dance, you know, to match the music or do I need to change the song? And so, and in 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 a similar vein, that's the way our, our programmed beliefs are, you know? And so something will happen, it'll trigger a core belief, it'll trigger a programmed belief, and then that tape will just start playing. Mm-hmm. And it's listening, becoming present with ourselves and conscious with ourselves and listening and going, you know, this music that I'm hearing in my mind about this situation, does that actually reflect what it is that I want to listen to, what it is that I want to hear, how I actually genuinely think and feel about the situation? And if it doesn't, then I need to go deeper and find out where it's coming from and what adjustments I need to make so that now my perception more uh, uh, is more in alignment with what is actually happening in my life right now. And it's not just coming from that programming that you know just kind of got baked in long before, like I said, I even had an opportunity to make up my own mind about how I think and feel about this. Right. Is this a first thought, second thought situation where your first thought is your cultural programming and your second thought is how you feel about it? Is this a, oh, the cultural programming is feeding into a trigger or the trauma is feeding into a like embodied response that you then need to figure out working on separately once you've addressed that that's where it's coming from? Mm-hmm. Or is it something else altogether? And no matter right. what, you have to look at it and figure out what it is. Yeah. You have to be willing to sit with yourself. Uh, polyamory is, is really where I began that work of kind of going, oh, like I have to sit with myself because I would have these really, 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 really like caustic reactions to my attachment wounds getting triggered. Um, mm-hmm. And some of the stuff that would come out as a result of those reactions, like I was like, ooh, no, <laughs> like, we got to clean that up. And um, and what that resulted in was me kind of learning to sit with that discomfort um, before I went with the first thing, like you said, that first sort of that first impulse, because oftentimes that first impulse was coming from those those programmings, those scripts, those things that had been deeply embedded, and they just didn't match, you know, the new direction that I was going in with regards to how I thought and felt about Mm -hmm. relationships and how they should function and how they should operate and what the the space that I want them to take up in my life and how I want them to present in my life. These old old understandings just didn't match that current reality. Um, And so I had to learn how to sit with those discomforts so I could find out where those things were coming from um, so that I could actually address those things. It's actually really funny that you're talking about this because I'm, you know, getting ready to kind of write some content around this because I had just came up with um, or I just posted something that I made a long time ago. It was a term that I had come up with called perception jealousy. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I describe as perception jealousy is when you feel jealous of other people's perceptions of your like polyamorous relationships or like your partner's other relationships. And how I became aware that this was a thing was um, I was at Ikea once. Um, and at the time I was in a triad with my um, husband and uh, um, uh, another uh, person. And uh, we were in Ikea and I had walked away from them to go look at something or whatever. And they had walked off. 
And as they were walking, I was, you know, meeting them back and I was watching them from a distance and um, she was walking next to him and she had just put her hand on his back and kind of rubbed his back. Mm -hmm. Very innocuous. Something I'd seen her do a bunch of times because she lived with us at that point, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's something I'd seen her do a bunch of times. And I felt this seething jealousy. Like I was just like, it was so strong. And the problem wasn't that she had rubbed his back. Cause like I said, I'd seen it before, you know, you know, we had sex together. I'd seen her do a lot worse, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot mm-hmm. more stuff, you know? So it wasn't that she was rubbing his back, you know, that wasn't an issue. It was that I was like, the people in the store are going to think that she's his wife mm-hmm. and I'm his wife. And I didn't want them thinking that. Mm-hmm. And it was so bizarre for me because I generally live my life really unconcerned about what people think and feel about me. I'm, I'm very a no fucks given kind of person. Mm-hmm. So polyamory was one of these spaces where I was like, oh, Vita, you have more deeper work to do mm-hmm. on your uh, uh, reliance on the opinions of others and how much you care about the opinions of others. Because polyamory was a space where I, I found out that there are ways that I actually care about the opinions of others in ways that are uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. But had I had not known or had I had not taken the time to, to think that out, like I might have just thought that it was just her showing affection. And I might have said, you know, when we're out in public, you need to be less affectionate. And that may be how I chose to respond to it, because, you know, I didn't take the time to figure out that it wasn't the fact that she had, you know, expressed affection to him. It was that I had deeper work to do on not caring about the opinions of others, because the reality is. She had a right to do that. She was his partner. So, you know, mm-hmm. that wasn't anything wrong that she was doing. And even if everybody in the store thought that she was his wife, it wouldn't have changed the reality that I actually am his wife. And what does that even matter? You know what I mean? So like, why do I need to, why do I need all these people in the store to know that I'm his wife? Like for what, you know? Um, but had I had not named that nuance, that that's what it was. And it came up in some other areas too. I had another situation where I was out with my husband and my kids and one of his partners, we were celebrating my son's graduation and I had walked off, you know, from the crowd and gone to do something. When I came back, there was someone taking a picture of my husband and his partner and my kids. And I was like, he's going to think that she's their mother. you know. <laughs> and I was like, you know, and I felt all this like discomfort when I was like, even if he thought that, what does it matter? You know, and then it's not true, you know, mm-hmm. but. Had I, you know, if I had not taken the time to sort of like, you know, understand that nuance, I might have reacted to, you know, well, I don't want you to take pictures with your partners and our kids together. You know, I might have done something like that, thinking that that was the issue when it wasn't. The issue was that I was concerned about what somebody else was thinking about my partner and his other partner taking pictures with my kids. And that there's honestly nothing that I really need them to do about that. That's all internal work that I have to do. You know, around letting go of or shedding some of my like, you know, uh, reliance on, you know, wanting people, you know, outside person's perceptions of of me and my situation and my life to be uh, accurate. Um, And so it's really, really important that we're taking the time to sit with ourselves and really go deep into what's happening, because sometimes even when we get triggered, those the, the initial responses that we have to caring for it aren't really the thing. So like your partner goes on a date, I don't know, and you get triggered by it. And so you're like, okay, well, the first thing I need is, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, don't talk to me about the dates or whatever. And it's like, is that really what the issue is or is there something deeper? So a lot of times I find that even our, the, the, our first graspings at what we need mm-hmm. when we get triggered um, aren't always actually what we need. 
Wolverine. Um, it's a band-aid. Right, yeah, it's a band-aid. It's, it's the first thing. The way I describe it is something happens and you're falling down the stairs. And when you're falling down the stairs, you just reach out for anything that you see to help you. It might be a curtain. It might be, you know, like whatever. You're just reaching out. Like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm falling down the stairs. I'm trying to stop myself from falling. I'm just going to grab onto anything. Um, but sometimes those things that we grab on, they don't stop us from falling because they weren't, they weren't, they weren't, they weren't the thing, they you know, they stable. weren't sturdy. Yeah. They weren't stable. Right. Exactly. We were just looking around as we were falling down and just anything that we saw, we re reached for it and grabbed it. And mm -hmm. so I find that sometimes when we get triggered in non-monogamy, those first things that we reach for to, to aid us, um, can sometimes not be the thing that actually is going to, to, to get us the support that we need. Yeah, for sure. I think. Sometimes it's also a matter of other people helping give us the framework to find the right questions to ask, which brings us back around to this idea of like the kind of content that you end up putting out or that people find on the internet or that this book contains where folks have questions that they can then think about and examine because a lot of times – like you said, our culture does not guide us particularly well to self-examination, which is part of why our first instincts are so often band-aids that don't work necessarily because we don't have practice at figuring out what it is that we needed. Right. Yeah. It's not just We don't have that. practice sitting with discomfort. You know, we yes. don't have practice. Uh, you know, what we're, what we're taught about discomfort is you got to find the quickest exit out, you it's know? It's true. And we're moving fat further in the direction of find the quickest exit out of your discomfort rather than get friendly with your discomfort for a little while and curious about it, which right. I think getting curious about your discomfort is one of the best skills for having success in interpersonal relationships because interpersonal relationships are built on mutually building understanding over time and understanding requires moments of discomfort your entire relationship shouldn't be discomfort but you're never gonna maintain a long-standing relationship with anyone of any kind friendship familial relationship whatever without occasionally causing offense and discomfort between you right and i think that there's so much merit to uh leaning into discomfort obviously like you said the relationship shouldn't be solely discomfort and also uh, we shouldn't be, I don't believe that we should be, uh, cavalier about causing discomfort, you know? Yes. So, uh, while, you know, I believe that discomfort is unavoidable and it is going to come, but I also don't feel like we should, well, it's unavoidable. So let's not try to mitigate it. You well, know, right. if we you can, shouldn't you know? intentionally right. cause discomfort and you shouldn't avoid discomfort. mitigating discomfort. If your partner lets you know that something causes discomfort, you shouldn't intentionally do the thing that causes the discomfort. Right. But one of the things that, that I'm learning, and it's actually my current partner that, that, that taught me this because in the beginning of our relationship, and this was somewhat infuriating for me. Now I've learned to really appreciate it and value it because it's helped me to become a better human is when we would have conflict and we don't have conflict often, but when we would, he never acted. Um, he almost acted excited. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was challenging for me because I'm like, okay, like we're in this conflict and, you know, I don't want to be in conflict. But one of the things he said is he, he, he's learned to embrace conflict because it's how we learn one another. Um, conflict, uh, 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 
it, it you know, if it's navigated well, mm -hmm. um, it brings about closeness, mm -hmm. it brings about understanding, it brings about deeper, deepened grace, deepened compassion, you know, for this other person, uh, sometimes deepened respect, you know, for who they are. Like there are so many things that can come from 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 conflict strength. Um, you know, if you have a fair weather relationship that's never like, you know, been tested, um, how do you know that when life lifes and it hits that relationship that it has legs to stand? Um, and so uh, when we learn to to be at peace with the fact that that this this uh, uh, way that we're relating to one another, discomfort is going to happen and that there are gifts that come from discomfort um, we tend to be a lot more ready to to do that work of sitting in it, you know, and sitting with it because we're like, I know that there, I know that there's a gift here. I know there's a gift here. I know there's a blessing. I know there's a lesson. I know there's an awareness here. Um, and if I'm just willing to sit and be patient um, and and process uh, uh, this discomfort, um, I'm going to walk away with something of value. Yeah, exactly. It's not about avoiding conflict at all costs. It's about finding the good things in it the like kernel of growth within it right so with these things in mind i think do you have a favorite topic or reflection from within the book or it, do you are, are they like your children you can't have a favorite it's just a different one every moment I definitely have ones that I like more than others. Um, none of them obviously come to mind right now. <laughs> um, I think probably the ones that are my most favorite are the ones that came from actual stories in my life. Um, those are the ones that I enjoy probably the most because I think it's very easy to get up and talking head at people, you know? Yes. Um, but I love the ones where I'm like, all right, y'all, I'm gonna tell y'all a story. Like the story time, you know, the ones that say story time, you know, <laughs> like story time, y'all. And I get to tell a story from my life and like how that, that awareness came about, um, uh, a story that I really love to tell. And I believe it is there somewhere in the book mm -hmm. is, um, I remember, uh, one time being in that triad and, um, my daughter and, our partner at the time had a really like close bond. And so we were all getting up and getting the kids ready for school one morning. And she requested that our, my partner do, my daughter requested that my partner does her hair and not me. Mm -hmm. um, and I was already feeling some crunchy feelings for some other stuff that was going on. And so that was just kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back and it just kind of sent me over the edge. And um, I was on my way to work and I called my, um, their dad um, and I am like screaming, crying into the phone. Like, this is not an exaggeration. I am like wailing. And I'm like, <laughs> and I heard this voice and it was like, no, they're not, you know, they don't belong to you. And it was like mm -hmm. this like total lipo moment that really changed the course of my parenting. Um, uh, because as much as we want to talk about lack of boundaries and romantic relationships, I feel like the relationships that have the, 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 that suffer from the most lack of boundaries parents is the parent-child, mm -hmm. parent-child relationship. We talk about lack of boundaries and romantic relationships all the time. And I'm like, nothing parallels parent-child relationships. Yeah. And it's understandable. My children literally came from my body. Like, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? You want to talk about no boundaries. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. I literally grew them in my body. So, um, you know, polyamory really helped me to change how I viewed my children mm -hmm. as separate entities, you know, that, that don't belong to me. 
Um, and so my favorite reminders are the ones that I'm like, you know, I know this to be true, at least for me, because this actually happened. You know, this is something that I came to an awareness of from a situation that happened to me. This isn't just something that I happen to notice you know, uh, it reflected in the community or, you know, from conversations that I had with somebody or, you know, mm -hmm. something that like a client of mine said, you know, this is like, no, I actually lived this. I lived this, um, uh, this understanding, you know, I, I lived this. Um, and so those are probably the ones that are my favorites when I get to like talk about, you know, where it came from and it came from something that I actually went through. Cause I feel like that those are the ones that have more strength. Um, uh, you know, I, I tell people, I, I, I just talk about my experience. Like, I don't like to posit myself as like some expert or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not a therapist at all. You know, I don't have, you know, I don't even have a, a college degree, you know, so I am a high school diploma. Um, but where I feel like the strength of, of my voice is, is that really a lot of what I'm talking about is, is my experience and, and reflecting on my experience. And I think that's why it's so potent because I'm literally going, you know, I know this to be um uh important because i actually lived it yeah and as a mom who found or finds still polyamorous co-parenting to be very challenging but very valuable i agree with you on the front of parent-child boundaries are hard and challenging but absolutely worth it and important yeah, very important. Um, and I feel like it changed the course of my parenting in a much better way, better direction. Um, and I really value the relationship that I have with my children as a result of those changes. And I also value the people mm -hmm. that I see my children becoming as a result of those changes. Yeah. Um, uh, I definitely feel like my children feel respected um, in their relationship with me. They feel uh, seen. And like they get the space to be who they are. They feel like they, they you know, that I understand that, that they are a human being. And while obviously they're in my care and in my stewardship, and so I have to guide and direct them. But, you know, I do so while also making sure to toe that line of I do not control these entities. They don't belong to me. They're mm -hmm. not extensions of me. Um, and, um, and I want to really bring a lot of care and intentionality into holding that as a principle of how I relate to my kids. Um, and I feel like they're better off, uh, because of that. Yeah. I appreciate you so much for coming and sharing with us all of this information. Um, so I'm going to include in the show notes links to the book, uh, to your social media. Do you have a website that I should include? No, 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 okay, just my cool. social media. So that's fine. Um, so thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. This was a great conversation. Um, I love the flow. <laughs> so I really appreciate the opportunity to sit and chat with you today. So thanks once again to Avita for joining me. I had a great time recording this conversation with her. I hope you all enjoyed it and learned a bunch. Um, I hope you guys take the time to pick up the Polyamory Devotional, which is out tomorrow, October 20th. Um, you can either pre-order it today or pick it up in stores starting tomorrow. There are links in the show notes for that. Uh, as always, you can find me at Ready for Polyamory on all of the social media. You can also find Evita's socials linked in the show notes. And you can find me at readyforpolyamory.com for the blog, for coaching, and for other links. Um, October is a lot less busy than November, so I don't have a bunch of classes to tell you about right now. Have a great week and I'll see you back here for our next episode next Thursday. Mm -hmm.